Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. In this installment of part two, which marks the celebratory continuation of our second season of A Page in History, we delve further into our captivating dialogue with a wonderful Hollywood writer. From his early days as an NBC page selling tickets for the tour, he went on to superstardom to craft scripts for iconic shows like Third Rock from the Sun, That 70s Show, and King of the Hill. This guest talents knows no bounds. He also wrote for shows on Nickelodeon, the Disney Channel, and Amazon Studios. This guest holds a very special place in my heart because we shared the assignment for Saturday Night Live. But let's rewind a bit. Before he was rubbing elbows with Hollywood's finest, he had some unforgettable encounters. Picture this chatting with Wayne, the legendary Wayne from Wayne's World, at the urinal. But after they both did their business, he was asked to rehearse lines with the man behind the character, comedy genius Mike Myers. Our guest has also had encounters with comedy legends like Dana Carvey and the late great Chris Farley. And he confirms that Tom Hanks truly lives up to his reputation as the nicest guy in Hollywood. But hold on, things took a magical turn when Teller, the famously silent half of Penn and Teller, cast the spell on him while he was naked. That is Teller, not our next guest. You must hear this story. And one time, things got scary as he was being chased by what he thought could have been a stalker. And then another time, he was stalked by the beloved Al Roker, on the New York City subway system. His love of sports led him to working with the chairman of NBC Sports, Dick Eversall, who happens to love a great cigar. He also got a glimpse of a TV pilot of a little new show called Law & Order, but he wasn't sure it was gonna work. And he was asked to escort a female actress from LA Law to a major event where he introduced her to Johnny Carson, James Garner, and the gracious at the time, Bill Cosby, who bestowed upon him a special nickname. This guest's life is better than a TV drama. And wait, there's more. Ever wondered how to get Letterman tickets? Well, our guest once gave advice to an alleged porn star on just that leaving his co-pages blushing for him. But through it all, the most fulfilling part of his journey was the family of pages he shared his time with. The bond and camaraderie among these pages made his experiences truly memorable and heartwarming. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy the continuing conversation with Mr. Dave Schiff. You actually, was it, you were able to see the uh, pilot for Law & Order? Uh, yeah, um, I was working the, um, you know, we had the upfronts. I worked them two years running, and that's when um, uh, NBC, and I mean, all networks do this, but NBC would trot out 
their new shows and their schedule for the upcoming television season. Um, uh, and it, you know, it was a big kind of gala thing. Um, I think both times I did it, it was at the Marriott Marquis in Times Square, but I may be wrong. I know it was at least once, but um, so the first the first year I did it, I was basically just there in my page uniform to point to where people should go, you know, just just sort of help uh, with, you know, uh, those who coordinated the thing, just sort of help to make sure it ran smoothly in a small way. Uh, but I remember um, after my duties were over, um, it had been announced that they would screen, be screening the pilot of a new show by producer Dick Wolf uh, called Law and Order. And um, I remember I sat down, I believe it was with former page Chris Kelly. If you remember Chris, yes, I'm I do, yes. sure it was Chris and I. We sat down and we watched the pilot episode of Law and Order. And, uh, you know, I actually, I like crime shows. And, uh, you know, but I remember talking with Chris and we were sort of like, you know, I don't, I don't think this one, I don't think this is a winner right here. Um, and I'm starting to think, that I was wrong. Um, <laughs> in, in, in fact, I mean, Law and Order, the original Law and Order was maybe my favorite show for years. Uh, I called it wrong. You know, I thought it, <laughs> it had its own distinct style and um, maybe I didn't get it the first time around. Right. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, uh, the, the franchise and the producer Dick Wolf uh, have uh, have done pretty well for themselves and deserve deservedly so. Um, and then the next year, though, I was um, I was actually I had the media services assignment at the time. Ah, yes, yes. Um, and one of I mean, I don't know if that factored into. I think it did like uh, instead of just going in my uniform to the upfronts and pointing things out, I was a talent escort and the talent I was assigned to uh, was an actress named Cecil Hoffman, who was joining the cast of LA law, which had you know been well-established by then. Um, and um, so I, uh, you know, a car service, I think I, I went to NBC, car service came, picked me up, we drove, there. He drove wherever, I don't remember where Cecil Hoffman lived, um, or where, I, I she was probably staying in a hotel, because she was probably living out here, I don't know, but um, anyway, um, so I rode with her, we went, you know, backstage at the upfronts, and she was, um, you know, blonde blue-eyed um not the most famous person there but certainly someone that um you know for various reasons it seemed that a lot of uh people wanted to meet and so you know i helped like usher her through the crowds of people outside um uh just trying to take photos and get autographs and stuff and then we got inside and we were backstage and it was a, um, I mean, it was, there was a lot of showbiz credibility in this backstage area. Um, uh, and, you know, the, the, uh, the beautiful uh, actress joining LA law 
garnered some attention from from some of these people and i went uh i remember uh we were walking towards a table where i saw johnny carson holding court james garner was uh was you know in rapt attention with what johnny was saying and also sitting at the table was bill cosby and um you know it kind of has some dark connotations now i suppose uh i don't think anything unsavory happened in this event however but bill cosby was also at that table um and uh he sort of motioned us over because he wanted to meet cecil uh and so uh we came over and um you know he introduced he said hello to her and then uh turned to me stuck his hand out said bill cosby which you know it was hard not to laugh at because i had a pretty good idea who he was um i shook it you know i I, sh I smiled, shook his hand, introduced myself, and he said, all right, Smiling Dave. I like you, Smiling Dave, or something like that. And um, I was so, you know, I just thought, Bill Cosby just nicknamed me. That's really, really cool. Um, and, you know, much like the Law and Order thing the year before, I may have called that wrong also, uh, <laughs> uh, in hindsight. But uh, you know, nevertheless, it was a, it, it was a moment I, I I remembered well. And um, you know, we went to the upfronts. Then there was like a reception at Tavern on the Green afterwards, and mm. uh, I got my side. I, I had a a few uh, cocktails. Perhaps, and actually, one quick story about that was um, I, I was hanging out with. Oh, I feel so bad that I'm saying this. Her name was Kristen Lumcow, wasn't? Do you remember Kristen? Uh, I do, I do. She uh, had been a page, and then she worked in uh, like media relations. Yeah, and I, I had an assignment with media services, and I remember we were both. You know, I was hanging out with her because I think by that point I no longer needed to be by. Um, um, uh Cecil Hoffman's side and um anyway uh we decided to walk up to Tom Brokaw uh and introduce ourselves and Kristen said uh uh hi uh Mr. Brokaw I, I just want to introduce myself I'm Kristen Lemkow um I hope I'm getting her name right um and I I I work in media relations and so then I stuck out my hand I said I'm I'm Dave Schiff. I, I work in media relations and then I, you know, because I was a little intoxicated and I said, oh, no, no, actually media services. <laughs> and he smiled, patted me on the shoulder and said, they're all the same. And then he walked <laughs> off. Uh, but um, anyway, so that, I guess that was my upfront story. And then the other story that I think you had referred to, I hope, uh, listen, First off, I have a 19-year-old daughter. I am in no way in favor of objectifying women, uh, uh, nor um, do I believe that a woman's appearance, how a woman chooses to appear, uh, means that she wishes to be objectified. Uh, but this was a, a really memorable moment in you know one of my times in uniform. Uh, again, I was at the uh, I was at the cash register selling tour tickets, um, and you know, all the pages knew that there was that booth 
where we sold the tickets. I think we called it CR. Am I right? Because a cash that's right. register. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And then the other, I don't even remember what it was. It's called like main lounge or, or no, no was it main hall booth? Main, main hall, booth? right, right, booth? right. Yeah, yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah. And we were not a very booth, far yeah. apart. There was a at that time a very small NBC store, and we were just on opposite sides of the entrance to the store. Uh um but uh you know we had phones at each of our booths and often during slow times like i you know so the guy in the booth might pick up the or the page in the booth might pick up the phone and call the page in cr and we just be talking because nothing else is going on or whatever um but anyway um the, it wasn't all that busy a day as i remember but it was it wasn't empty in there either um when uh two two people walked in one of whom was ex you couldn't help but notice um and there there was and she was a um she was a young woman who had not just her body had not just been augmented. I mean, it had been, she, she went the full, you know, uh, kit and caboodle there. I, I'm trying to think of better. You know. Anyway, she, she went the whole nine yards, whatever, whatever the cliche I mean to be using is she um, had two extremely prominent features right next to each other. Um, I mean, she was also, she was also, made up in a certain way and had her hair like and she was wearing a tube top um uh she she seemed like somebody who um again i would never accuse anybody of asking to be objectified but if you were going to accuse somebody of that maybe she fit that mold and um with her was um this guy uh i don't know if you've ever been dave to a bachelor party that's not like that's at somebody's house and they have hired entertainment um you know this is unsavory stuff i don't mean to be going uh you know into uh an area we don't want to visit but uh you know um as when i was at the age where my friends kept getting married occasionally Maybe I'd go to somebody's house and a stripper would be hired and there'd always be a guy with her that was like kind of the muscle, I guess. Uh, you know, usually toothpick sticking out of his mouth or maybe chewing some gum or something. Always in a leather jacket, usually brown leather. Um, I just, it was a certain type. And this woman was with a guy of that type who may or may not have been uh, a romantic interest, but definitely gave off a tough guy vibe. And uh, anyway, so she's milling around in the lobby. They're looking around, like kind of looking all over the place for a little bit. And you could not help but notice her. Um, and uh, uh, in fact, I was, told later by a page who I won't name that he recognized her from some porn videos. Uh, um, it wasn't surprising that, I mean, she, she did seem like the, the adult entertainment industry was probably her uh, milieu. And um, anyway, uh, but so I saw her 
And I mean, he's poor, you know, you might be, you might have a picture of a porn star in mind. I mean, she really was doing it up, you know, she, she paid considerably and, um, uh, and was not doing anything to hide it either. And, uh, I was just like, I saw her and I thought, please just, just walk out. I don't want to <laughs> looking at her. I don't like, I was kind of looking in a different direction and just saw her in my peripheral vision. Once I had noticed her, cause I, I didn't want to stare. I didn't, you know, I, 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 I but anyway, much to my horror, suddenly they turn and see me and walk over. And even though, I mean, pages knew there was an information booth and a tour booth but you know nobody else did i was standing there in uniform and so as usual i had to field questions they turned looked at me headed on over and they wanted to know how to get tickets to attend the taping of late night with david letterman um now you know so staring at me were Uh, a woman with two eyes and two very prominent other things. Um, And uh, like a guy who was out of central casting for loan shark, uh, you know, roles uh, or not actually the muscle, not the loan shark, the, you know, the guy who breaks your kneecap. And um, I was scared out of my mind that I was going to somehow look the wrong way or you know I, I didn't know what to do but i had to answer their questions as though this were not sort of a an unusual situation in any way and um as i did it and you know we all kind of had our 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 own pattern memorized because we answered that question so many times i you know, it's, I finally purged it, but it's, well, you know, you send a postcard and uh, the waiting list is a year and a half, blah, 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 blah. And, but I was going through the whole spiel. All I could think about was don't mess. Oh, did I lose? Oh, you're that. I'm so sorry, Dave. Dave, I'm sorry. You, you, you. I didn't move. Um, I'm sorry. So I'll go back to, so I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm giving my patter. This is how you get Letterman secrets. But in my in my head, it's just like I don't know, you know, don't but don't betray your, you know, I was putting on this facade of there's nothing unusual, but it was just sort of an extraordinary. I've never, I've never been confronted by a pair, well, what I actually meant to be saying, a couple of people like this. Um and um as I was doing that and trying so hard just to seem natural, seeing my peripheral vision, you know, there was the the information booth on the just on the other side of that entry to the NBC store, where one page was on duty, but several other pages who, you know, on lunch break, waiting for their next for their tour to start. I don't know what, but there there had to have been five or six pages that I could see just just sort of out of the corner of my left eye, watching me and laughing hysterically because they knew um, what I was up against in trying to, uh, you know, not, I don't know, 
I, I don't even know what the wrong thing would have been. I know there are places it doesn't matter, I guess, how you choose to uh, to shape your body. There are places you're not supposed to look, but they were looking at me. Um, and um, finally, I got and, – and so so now – I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this spiel. I see my friends standing there watching me and laughing. And, and so now not only am I, you know, distracted by just trying to do the right thing, bursting into laughter is, is, is seconds away. And, um, I somehow got through it. I think the tough guy nodded. Maybe the, uh, the woman said thanks or something and they walked off and instantly, the phone at my booth rang, and uh, I believe it was, I think it was Ivor Clark. I do uh, remember. Oh my a, god, I remember. Yeah, I, I remember. Him. I had lunch with him like a year ago oh, or that's so. Funny. Wow. Um, but uh, but uh, I pick up the phone and I hear, "You were looking at her eyes, right?" Yeah, <laughs> just started like not not because that was like the the funniest thing anybody could ever say, but sort of the release of this tension that I felt. I I had tears coming down my my cheeks. I was laughing, you know, and we were all laughing about just, you know, look, more power to her. I I, I don't judge how. I guess maybe I do. I I don't want to be the guy who judges, uh. But um, you don't see too many quite like that woman. Right. And I, at the same time, was, again, I thought I was any second away from a broken jaw because the guy, I, it looked to me like that guy was just waiting for me right. to disrespect her somehow mm -hmm. or him, right. you know, um, and that was, yeah. That was, or maybe uh, if you if you had um, acknowledged uh, or just said, oh, you, you look so lovely today and just acknowledge something about her to like, like, you know, I can't stop. I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to look. Uh, yes. You know, yeah. uh, mean, but you look lovely. How can I answer your questions? I, <laughs> so yeah. you get credit for that. I, I, who knows? Yeah, I know. I, I, uh, to this day, I don't, I, I don't, it, it's all a, a blur of yeah. like how I got through that. And I'm sure some people listening might say, what's the big deal? But you, you'd have to have, experience right. to understand right. i think um so anyway those are a whole bunch of interesting and not as interesting stories i guess of you know but i, I have a zillion more but i think it's probably time to get moving well well i'm going to ask you i'm going to and, and and depends because i the, the the three final things sure are which i'm and and again as a i almost feel like a proud uh I don't know, maybe a brother, I guess a proud uh, brother or something. Dave, I, I, I guess it's, it's harder if if you were Harris, Harris can be my brother. I, my okay. Dave, you know, that, that would just be too weird. Right, that, that would be weird. Exactly. But yes, uh, you, okay. uh, you and I go back and I'm it's amazing talking to you. So as I guess as Harris, your brother, uh, I am it, it really it's so great. And it's funny, even Steve Corin, who I hope to have on the show, who yeah. was writing a lot of stuff. He, I'm, I'm sure he's got stories. I'm very proud. Like, it, it's something very proud. Like, I'm very proud to to of the success and the things you did. Like, it, it it's like it, it to me, it makes me feel good because when we were 
you know, like I said, we we were little pages doing our right. little thing. And and literally you are now in the position where people l- literally looked up to you because they're like, well, how did you do that? And 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 oh, my God. And what was that like? And you have a whole other, you know, slew of of those stories. But um, but I guess just, you know, what if you if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit like a third rock from the sun, the 70s shows King. Of sure. The Hill. Sure. Well, for, so, before I, I do that, if I may, you know, that pride right back at you buddy i mean i actually would love um you know but that's not the nature of this this podcast but uh the college radio uh always loved doing that always kind of you know thought about uh working in radio and podcasts are kind of you know that sort of thing and 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 so i i have tremendous respect for what you have set up there and uh, off mic sometime, I might uh, like to discuss that with you. Um, but you've done so much more than than this. And 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 so thank you for what you said. And again, I have the same feelings for you. And, uh, uh, you know, and pride. Well, God, so God I want to hear you, more man. about you, but yes. we'll do that. We'll do that another time. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I, you know, I went the full 18 months as a page. I mean, I was there until they said, sorry, <laughs> we're changing the locker, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, um, and um, right afterwards, um, and if, if, the, if you don't want this whole preamble, feel free to hit the edit button. But um, I very shortly thereafter, I, I, I got a job as a PA with a news organization. Uh, I won't go into much detail, um, uh, but um, there is a good SNL story relate related to this. Um it was not for me, and I knew it wasn't for me. I had actually had an internship at Channel Five, the Channel Five News in New York, uh, with John Rowland. If you remember, yeah, I don't course, know, yes, you know, John Rowland. Yes, um, of course. So I had like some TV news background, and at one point I thought maybe that was a way I would like to go. But really, I always wanted to be involved in creating, you know comedy and uh you know i was not the stand-up comedian type um but you know being at snl and seeing those writers it it, it almost seemed too hard to like how do you ever get to that um but um i needed a job you know i was i was one of the lucky pages who actually didn't have to pay rent i was living at home you know with my parents uh but uh you know um Still, I needed a job. I got one with this news organization. They actually, uh, shortly after, I, I guess maybe I worked there for in New York for a year or so. Um, and then I got a little moving bonus as the company moved out to LA. And I invite by, by that point, my brother, who, as I said, is a writer out here, and that's what he had aspired to as well. Um, by that point. He was just starting to get some some real success going. Um, and, you know, I had, I, you know, I was a diehard New Yorker. I still consider myself a diehard New Yorker, even though uh, I haven't lived there in many, many years. Um, but um, uh, so they moved me out to L.A. Um, and 
I knew it became clear. I mean, even before, I think even before they moved me to LA, I mean, I knew what I really wanted to do. And I knew that this job that I had there was not for me. Uh, but if I may now tie it back to something we talked about before, back when we were working at SNL, it was one of those Friday nights uh, where it was kind of like lots of stuff was getting done, but it was also really quiet right in our area. And, you know, the writers were always very, very harried. You know, they were just, you know, I mean, they were, as we discussed already, we, I mean, there were some real legit entertainers in that group but they were always they always looked like they could use a shower and you know they would be the first to admit it you know uh they worked long hard stressful hours and so they were around a lot but it wasn't easy like i didn't have many personal conversations with the writers, I actually, you know, I, I felt like we had more personal time with the cast members, who I know often wrote too. But um, anyway, the point is, one of the writing teams was husband and wife Bonnie and Terry Turner. Um, and Bonnie, for whatever reason, was on the eighth floor at that time and decided to hang out by our table, the table we sat at. And so we started talking and I asked her, I said, well, how did you and Terry want, like, how did you get to here? And she told me, well, we actually, I think where they met, uh, they, they lived in Atlanta and were working for CNN hmm. in new, you know, in news. Um, and, uh, I think maybe they had like joined some comedy troupe there or something. And eventually one thing led to another, they were now, very talented comedy writers at SNL. Um, and uh, they would go on to do great things. Um, but they were already, in my mind, I mean, they were already doing great things. They were writers at SNL. Um, but, you know, she told me about that news experience. And as I was working for this news organization, I mean, I, I really, I wasn't, I was not, had to be working there it was not for me um i mean i think it's awesome i have you know we have friends who've done very well in broadcast news as producers and whatever else but that's their thing it wasn't my thing um and i, I um i really got through several years working in this company not well paid at all moved to la so i was away from home um uh, i i can't tell you how many times i relived the conversation with bonnie turner in my head wow. while i was you know logging news footage or writing um you know the pop quiz to sandwich the commercials with you know here's the question stuff i did stuff like that a lot you know a lot of research and um, the only thing that got me, you know, I was like, I started, especially because my brother had started to have some success and it takes a certain amount of discipline, which I don't think I had had, even when we were pages to sit down in front of a blank page, especially when you have no real experience. I mean, you know, I took screenwriting classes in college or whatever, but, it, it, you know, like real, I didn't have real experience doing that. 
Um, and I started working long hours and then coming home and writing spec sample scripts. They called them spec. They weren't really specs because they were um, uh, back when I was breaking in. What you did was you took uh, an established show that was on the air and you pretended that you were writing an actual episode for that show, um, which um, to me still makes a lot of sense. It's not how it, it that changed uh, fairly early once in once I was into my career. Suddenly, all anybody wanted to read was original oh, really? material, like pilots. You know, essentially, pi you know, writing pilots or, um, but, but. Um, I was pounding away. Uh, and my brother, as I said, he was starting to uh have some success. And and um he he had been working for he'd been writing for In Living Color. Oh. Uh and then his he was next hired on a show um called uh She TV, which oh. was created by Bonnie and Terry Turner. Oh. Um it was a sketch show. And so he was telling me, oh, Bonnie and Terry, you know, you didn't, they, they were writers for SNL. I was like, oh yeah, it's what a cool, you know, what a small world. Now you're working with them. Um, and uh, meanwhile, I was going to work, hating it, coming home, working on scripts. Wow. Uh, uh, and then um Mike, uh, or my brother, Mike, or as Brian Grossman would say, Leon. Uh, I don't know, but Brian, Brian insists on referring to my brother as Leon. Um, but his name is Mike. Uh, he and his writing partner, Bill. Uh, they had also they'd worked on a John Leguizamo sketch show. I don't remember if that came before or after She TV, but uh, Bonnie and Terry then developed um, Third Rock from the Sun. Uh, which uh you know became a big hit for nbc they uh but you know after I, I think after the pilot they hired my brother mike uh they uh and and they moved uh my, my brother and uh his right partner they they climbed the ranks uh at third rock you know pretty quickly um meanwhile though my brother who by the way you know first off could not be more lucky than to have a connection to at that time have had a connection like my brother. Um, but he was the, excuse me. I'm so sorry. Uh, my brother was very, um, he was tough. You know, he would read my work and the notes could be very substantial. Oh. Um, but I learned a ton from him. And uh, finally he was like, when you have four good samples ready, I'll have my agent take a look at them. And it's funny because I, you know, later on I told other people that and they were like, four? You know, nobody, no, no, nobody sends out four scripts, you know. But anyway, um he uh he made good on his word. He was happy, you know. I got to the point where I felt like I kind of understood. I kind of well, I got to the point where I thought I knew what I was doing, right. but then of course, you know, you take that next step and then you're brand new again. But um, 
he sent them to his agent and and really my hope was that his agent would give me some feedback and 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 maybe just like a lifeline who i might contact at some point uh but i went in to meet with his agent and um she who's at caa which you know is most people most i mean if it were not for my brother a no-name writer isn't usually read by somebody at CAA. Right. I'm not with CAA anymore, but I was for years and years. Um, and I went, you know, I had a few different reps there uh over the years, but um uh CAA took me on as a client, and then I right away started getting meetings for jobs that you know a, a week before seemed out of completely out of reach. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't land one immediately. I'm still working on, on the news show, but, you know, there was hope. And then um, I had a meeting for a show that was to air on Fox called Between Brothers, uh, which starred Kadeem Hardison um, from, uh, from the Cosby show, if I, I believe, Um Tommy Davidson from In Living Color and a couple other uh, a couple other guys, and it was, uh, you know, it, it. I guess it was what euphemistically is referred to as an urban sitcom. Uh, you know, um, they weren't these brothers were not uh, white Jewish guys. I was going to uh, say it was clearly but, right, right, and 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 you know, and and this, the writing staff was was a very diverse group of people. Um, and the show was what it was. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, Fox aired it opposite friends. Um, I guess they figured, well, we might the as well. Slot. <laughs> yes. Know. Yeah. Well, exactly. And I guess though, the, maybe some of the thinking was, well, we're, we're going to go up against the whitest show there is. And right. so our ratings actually, it was amazing. Like the demographic, I think overall, you know, and back then everything was broadcast TV. There's no streaming to factor or anything, but like when the, uh, the TV season was through, I think, over, I think, uh, between Brothers was the number one rated show among African American viewers. Oh wow! And a hundred eighth overall, or wow. something. Like that. I mean, that's fantastic. Well, hundred eighth overall well, well, is not fantastic. Right, but but but, but for the demographic, if for advertisers, right. if that's right, what right. Trying to, Nevertheless, you know, the show yeah. lasted, I guess, seventeen episodes or something, and then got canceled. And the reviews were always were always terrible for it. Mm -hmm. But you know. It was a foot in the door for a uh, really legitimate foot in the door for me. And I joined the writers Guild, and, you know, um, and I guess that it gave me the credibility I needed to, I, I felt like I only had, you know, as much as people talk about who, you know, it's who, you know, I'm very, very lucky for who, who I know, you know, I always knew that, but it's more than who you know right. it's it's you you got you got to take advantage of that person you you know you uh i anyway well the saying i actually let, let me jump in because again i love sure. it. maybe my well, like my deep thoughts like what what is it um 
uh, Jerry Springer would do at the end of the show. But, you know, uh, opportunity meeting preparation. So, you know, the fact is that you, you know, became an NBC page, busted your ass, worked in this news organization, writing, you know, you want to write scripts, you moved from one coast to the other coast. You didn't like what you were doing. Your your brother, granted, he was a writer, but your brother said to you, give me four scripts. And as you mentioned, you know, people may say, well, four, that's an awful lot. But, you know, in in, you know, uh, you know, it's like anyone can write one script, but to sweat through and craft four scripts for all intents and purposes is impossible. But your brother really it's like going to boot camp like you really had to sweat it out. Right. Well, you learned, you know, by the third script and maybe by the fourth, you'd be like, oh, now I kind of understand what he's doing. By the way, bear in mind, yeah. um, there was some while while cobbling together, while, while writing those four scripts, other scripts never saw the light of day. There was uh, a, a quick sidetrack. I don't know if you remember, NBC was really hyping a show starring Jonathan Silverman called The Single Guy. Yeah. So so I thought, OK. I'm going to, from day one, I'm going to study the single guy because mm -hmm. apparently that's going to be big. That was the hype. Um, and um, I'll write an episode. I'll have one of the first episode samples of single guy. Maybe that'll help. Well, that was a big mistake. The single guy actually was really quite a flop. It made it to a second season where they like completely recast everything. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there was a script I wrote that didn't even nobody right. no, nobody except my brother and i saw right. um and i you know i had started i had written an episode of friends and then they did an episode that was way too much like mine and changed mm. the character arcs moving forward so that was out i wrote a new friend you know mm. you know so there was a lot i really i did i busted my butt i you know Again, thank God I was, I got my scripts to CAA. Most people, uh, a lot of people in my position that I was in back then didn't get that luxury. Um, they liked them. Um, and, uh, but so then I kind of felt like, okay, here's my other chit. My brother said, my brother got me into pitch episodes for a freelance, freelance third rock from the sun. Uh, pitch them to Bonnie and Terry Turner, these luminaries, you know, these people that I had looked up to so much when we were working there. Um, and in fact, Bonnie, you know, Bonnie's story about the news, like kept me about their going from news to comedy writing really kept me afloat sometimes when I was miserable at my job. Um, and, um, you know, I felt like, okay, this is, I can't, I can't lean on my brother forever. It's not good for him. It's not good for me. And, you know, there's only so many chits you can call in anyway. Um, and, um, but he got me in a pitch. Thank God. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I felt like the pitch meeting went well and I was contacted shortly thereafter. We'd like to go with the episode about this. Wow. Uh, and so uh, just, actually, let me pause for a second. So sure. because right there, that is a major milestone pinnacle. Like when they called you and said, you know, by the way, we're going to go with this. 
I mean, did you have to like sit down on the floor? You know, I mean, you know, well, although at that point you probably busted your ass. You're like, great, let's get to work. I don't well, know. What was it? it was probably all of that. What you said, plus, um, uh, plus just tremendous fear because mm. like there was, I was scared to death going into pitch. It worked out, but then it's like, okay, you talked a good game, right? You know, now, now, now you got to make it, you got to make them happy that they, they went with this pitch of yours. And, um, so I, you know, I went in, we loosely broke, uh, you know, I'm certainly the old school sitcoms and, but I mean, I think today I haven't worked on one of the streaming shows where they have staffs of four writers and it's all i mean i think it's, it's very different now but you know you used to go in you'd go in you'd, you'd you'd come up with a story concept and then get in the writer's room with you know at that back then you know maybe anywhere from nine to 14 writers and sort of break out what the story a shape for the story um so that's what we did I went, then I, I mean, I don't think I slept for like three nights. I was just working around the clock on this thing. Um, brought it and then turned it in. And then um, basically it was, okay, so, uh, you know, now you'll spend a week with the show as we, you know, you know, because how, how these multi-camera shows worked, basically there'd be a table read. I mean, most of them, I think really kind of worked in week long segments. We started with a table read of the first draft, which actually, well, I'll, I'll get to that. And then, and then would end with the shooting of that episode and, and the first rewrite of the next week's episode, you know? Um, so I wasn't involved in the next week's episode, but uh, I, I went in, uh, and you know, be perfect, be perfectly honest. And this is the process, you know, every once in a while, if you're working on a show, you might write a script that is nearly flawless, or you think is near, or, you know, people assess and say, okay, there's not much we have to do with this, but very often there are, you know, after you busted your ass and stayed working <laughs> on the clock, yeah. you know, it then comes in and they're like, okay, how can we re? how can we reconsider this story? Right. I mean, that's what I think people watching TV don't realize. Even if it's a show you're watching, you're like, this is crap. Right. There is so much collaboration and time spent on these things. But I mean, the experience was phenomenal for me because that was a very talented writing staff on a show that was a hit. Um, and, um, you know, I was right there in there pitching on it with them. And uh, then that then it was shoot night. And um, I mean, thank God. And I know that obviously you always know if you're if you're shooting a show that is in front of an audience, which, you know, uh, certainly Third Rock was and the old school sitcoms usually usually were. That's not much the case anymore. You know, now it's mostly single camera stuff. It's uh, it's kind of a different process, but 
Um, you, know, you go through the week, you have the run through, run throughs, rewrites, another, you know, a run through for the studio, which was Carsey Werner, uh, Mandebach. I or at that at that time I think it was still Carsey Werner. Eventually it became Carsey Werner Mandebach. But um, uh, you know, then the next, so and you had that run through. See the actors; they're still on script usually at that point, reading lines, and then um, okay, we saw the run through. We seemed to like this. We didn't like this part so much. No, hours and hours of rewrites, staying late in in the office. And that's usually how it goes. The next day, okay, now the network gets a run through. You know, and we get all their notes and we see what we see and what we think needs to be done. And when I say we, in the case of Third Rock, I was extraordinarily deferential. I mean, I I was not in the position to say, uh, you know, I'd like to change, but but um, you know, I did feel like I was able. I felt like my script remained, you know, as much intact as they could have hoped. When I worked on other shows, sometimes we would have freelance scripts come in, and they're very often page one rewrites, and it's understandable because this person doesn't know nearly as much as you know about the show i mean you can study by watching the episodes and stuff like that but you haven't heard all the notes and 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 you know there's there's so many reasons so you know i felt like my original script stayed intact uh, a respectable amount for a freelance script and i felt like i had some nice input that week working with them so that in itself was a tremendous experience um and but shoot night and again this is not i don't want this to come across as though i'm tooting my own horn there were a lot of very very talented writers who contributed contributed in major ways this episode that had my name on it um even though you're obviously if you're if if you're if you're writing a show that is shot before an audience, it's not just those two hundred two hundred fifty people, um, who uh you know might be sitting. I don't know how big our you know the different audiences were, but let's say two hundred people. Granted, they're just some people. You need to speak to a whole lot more than that, but you can't help but sort of gauge how an episode. You know, the quality of the episode by how the audience that's there watching it reacts. And it went better than I could have possibly dreamed. I mean, it just was an episode. The The cast was phenomenal. You know, um, it just was an episode that went really, really well. And the audience loved. The audience, the in-studio audience. Right. Um, Again, there are many, many people responsible for that having been the case, but, um, you know, I was proud to have my name on it and, uh, you know, um, while I was there, I kind of overheard some discussions. There was a writer on the show uh, on Third Rock named Mark Brazil, uh, and I knew that, and I'd heard him discussing with Bonnie and Terry, um, that they were developing a, a new show um uh together 
Uh, and it was at that time, the show was called Teenage Wasteland. And that's pretty much all I knew about it. Um, and anyway, so the show went great. And I remember actually uh, what they did. They did this at that 70s show too. And it was always a little uncomfortable for those of us who don't love the spotlight. But, uh, you know, the cast would come out and take bows at the end. And then they would introduce the writer of the episode. You know, even though really it was a whole team of writers, there is one guy who busted his ass more than anybody else. And, you know, so my name was on the was on the episode as the writer. And so I got introduced and I ran out on stage and yeah. and gave hugs with the cast and and then uh maybe was, signed some autographs. <laughs> right. At that seventy show, I actually right. signed many. Yeah, I, I okay, that's believe cool, people man. would want it, but right. at that seventy show, I signed many autographs and a quick sidetrack story. When I was working at King of the Hill, um one of the assistants there, I guess volunteered for the boys and girls club of america and they had some event that had a silent auction mm -hmm. and one of the items for bid was uh a, a uh a script of that 70 show signed by the author and she went and looked at it and the author was me wow um, which is hilarious to me that anybody she said it sold i don't know what it sold for uh you know it might have been worth 50 cents, but I think it actually went for, for more, maybe because the cause was good. But wow, that, the fact that somebody would look, right. if that I was asked to sign autographs, you know, certainly not as much, you know, the cast, people would, people would be leaning yeah. over the side and trying to get the cast. But right. every so often, you know, somebody would shout my name out. And I'd go over, sign a script, maybe speak, you know, say something of inspiration if somebody right. was an inspiring writer or whatever. But 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 I remember at Third Rock that after the curtain calls, when you know everyone's all the writers are kind of converging on the stage and and you know set designers and props people, and they're all already starting to clear things away. Um, but I Terry Turner came up to me. And uh, say congratulations. That was a, an awesome episode, or something like that. And I said, "Thank you so much, and thank you for the opportunity." But obviously, there was a whole—I mean, the whole staff, like really, uh, you know, this was a product of all of that. And he smiled at me, and he said, "You're going to learn just to say thank you," mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I thought was 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 funny at the time i think i understood what he meant but uh you know well what happened was I'll, I'll i'll get off of that and say that uh you know went back home you know my agent was like called me said congratulations you hit a home run you you know you stepped up to the plate and you hit a home run and of course that's agent speak and you know i've had smoke I've had plenty of smoke blown up. <laughs> uh, I won't tell you where. Uh, not so much these days. Uh, I'm kind of on the other end of that now. But um, um, I don't know, a week or two later, I get a phone call from my agent saying, I want to congratulate you. You've, uh, uh, you've been offered a job on the new Carsey Werner 
uh, uh, project that already uh, is already, even though the pilot had not been completed, they had already picked up because it was another Bonnie and Terry Turner project. Oh, uh, Fox picked it up. Mark Brazil was the other creator. Uh, and like I said, it was called Teenage Wasteland. Showed up for the table read of the pilot, and then uh, after that, joined the staff, and we started pre-production, and went through a thousand names because um, I guess um, uh, I guess the who, you know, you know, teenage waste is Baba O'Reilly, you know, that's yeah, totally. that's uh, that that I I think I think um, I don't know if they owned the rights to the term teenage wasteland or we for the, for the who for the, for the who um for the who yeah, yeah, yeah. um and again but, uh, as soon as you say that that's what people would think so i guess right. they wanted to sort of separate, right you know so we went through i mean again we're in pre-production the act the actors i mean the, the the pilot had been shot obviously the title sequence would be affected by the name of the show but uh for a little while it was so you know we, we were taking names from different songs from the seventies. So there was mm. feeling all right. Mm. Uh, oh, we also tried the kids are all right. The who put the kibosh on that too. Interestingly enough, Roger Daltrey did a guest spot on that seventies show, um, but he wouldn't let us have any of those uh. <laughs> those names. But um, <clears throat> um. Uh, yeah really in the years well i think that that's uh uh steely dan i mean we there were so many different names that we kept pitching and kept getting shot down and when and, and also by the way the fact that the fact that they picked up the show and there really wasn't even a name attached to it because the name yeah. of course really could set up the whole thing is pretty amazing it was you know the studio carsey werner had the cosby show um uh, you know, Sybil Shepherd show, Grace Under Fire, Roseanne. Mm. I mean, Roseanne was a Carsey Werner show. Right. They had a great. I mean, right. they 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 carried significant uh, uh, um, gravitas. I don't know what the right word would be. Right. Uh, so that helped. Bonnie and Terry Turner were really hot, quite hot. And Mark Brazil was a you know known stand-up comedian and uh, working writer and talented and funny guy, and he was the other. He developed the show with them. It was kind of based on his life that mm -hmm. seventy show, or at least the you know just the concept of the you know the kids who were in it were um, you know kind of his his friends were versions of his friends and stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, the show went to focus the pilot was shot post-produced went to focus groups and apparently i mean i wasn't there for the focus groups but apparently what happened was you know these groups were shown a few different shows mm. and people kept saying i like that 70s show you know or i'll tell you the one that caught me was that 70s show apparently it was bandied about a few times and then some executives said that 70s show that's what we're going to call it Wow. I'll be honest with you. That got back to the writers' room, and I was among a, a, a writer a room full of writers saying that is the stupidest name in the world. <laughs> um, I no longer hate that name. You know, That's funny. Once, once it runs for eight years as that '70s show, I'm okay with it. Um, 
I worked on that show from, you know, essentially I was, I was hired before the pilot. Uh, I didn't work on the pilot, but we did two, including the pilot, 200 episodes. So I guess I did 199 episodes. Of that oh my show. God. I mean, that years. is, that is amazing. First of all, I, I don't even know where to begin, but that is, um, I, I just can't go on. I, I, it's like mind boggling. Well, it was, look, I mean, you know, there were times, there were, there were times discussed with my agent is it time for me to move on is it you know but we were averaging 25 episodes a season that's i i mean that's nearly unheard of and um you know i had a young family i was started you know we bought a house and i or well first i had my son when he was six months old it was probably it was probably season or when uh uh you know and we bought a house when he was and and you know in a nice like spacious yard big swimming pool all that stuff that wouldn't have happened without that 70s show um you know so how can i jump off that you know it was like and there was there were there were a couple of years in there where it was less enjoyable for me for various reasons than others but overall i mean that show i owe that I owe that show so much and I'm still getting residual payments from right. From wow. It. Um, and then, so that show ended and it was, it was kind of like, okay, well what's next? You know, I, I felt like it was a good enough credit and to hear my agents talk about it, you know, it wasn't a time to worry, even though the show, like we, we went into the, the last season, by the way, you talk about being able to make people happy. I can't tell you how many teenage girls I was able to introduce to Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. And my God, I mean, he might have been a Beatle. You know, right, right, you went right. the the, re, the reaction he got when he was introduced before the uh the filmings, uh, you know, shrieks. And in that, you know, and like my accountant was like, Would you be able to get my daughter and her friend to the show? And I said, right. sure. And I didn't make any other promises, but I knew at the end of the show, I was going to take them down on the stage and introduce them to people. And, you know, the thank you note I got, wow. you know, I can't tell you how happy you made us by doing that, you know, and it was nothing for me, you know, right. why not? It's like, uh, uh, you know, I don't, um, so anyway, that Sunday show came to an end. We knew it was the last season because Ashton and Topher Grace had left the show. I mean, there was, you know, we were, I think we were lucky to get one last season out of that, even though, I mean, I think we had other talented cast members, uh, one of whom's been convicted of rape. Uh, so that's concerning, especially because I like the guy, but, um, I don't, you know, anyway, sorry. Uh, so, um, Right as the show ended, I guess, um, the showrunners of King of the Hill were uh, a team, writing team named John Oldschuler and Dave Krinsky. Um, they approached a Fox executive and said, you know, we need to staff up. We, we, we need, uh, we're looking at new writers. Do you have anyone to recommend? And she said, that 70s show actually just wrapped. How about Dave Schiff? And um, she didn't know that I actually, when I moved to LA, 
I met I I mean I was friends with John and Dave um because they went to the University of North Carolina which is where uh Mike slash Leon Schiff my brother that's where his writing partner had gone so I knew these guys I used to hang out with these guys they didn't know my show was ending I didn't know King of the Hill was looking for writers um but immediately like my wife had been saying to me for months, once that 70 show ends, you got to clean out the garage. That's your project. <laughs> You'll be off. You won't be working right away. You're going to clean out. The, you're going to clean the garage. Um, I literally left that 70 show and went to King of the Hill. And I was, but I was warned actually um, by my friends. They were like, look, this, this is going to be the last season of King of the Hill. I mean, I think, Part of the reason they were looking for new writers was that they had done 10 seasons and they weren't sure it was coming back, but then it did. So some writers had left. Um, so I, I, I filled in, uh, you know, I, I replaced someone and, and I was told this is going to be the last season until then we were picked up for, you know, and then sometime during that season, it's like, okay, well, next season is going to be the last season. Um, and then sometime during that last season okay well next season is going to be the last season uh so uh i ended up doing three seasons that, that was a 13 season um series um during it was interrupted for a little while by the last writers guild strike oh. um and i was a conscientious picketer back then um uh but uh that was uh so king of the, oh so but king of the hill kept getting picked up after we were being told we wouldn't be so when i left like when we were done with season 13 i was like i'm not cleaning my office out because there were still rumors flying about and then there were rumors a different network wanted to pick up king of the hill and so i left everything in my office and it really wasn't until the line producer called me a few months later and said look if you don't clean your office out we got to throw that stuff away um i was like oh, i guess we're not coming back right. um and so um that's when i kind of you know you go where the the offers are um and um you know there were shows there were yeah you know, i i hadn't thought about working on a live action nickelodeon show uh you know um my kids would watch them i might find them cloying at times uh, i've changed my opinion on them there are a lot of very skillful very skilled writers who work on those things um but eventually um i had a great meeting with a guy who created a show for nickelodeon it was a live action single camera show for nickelodeon called big time rush uh it was about a boy band uh, I'm not a boy band kind of guy, but uh, I'm a work and get paid kind of guy. <laughs> uh, and so I went to work on the show. Um, it really wasn't my speed. It was a different. It, the funny thing is, though, and like my daughter, who, as I mentioned to you, uh, just finished her freshman year at Emerson College, uh, the alma mater of one um, very successful podcaster I'm speaking to right now. <laughs> um, uh uh, a wonderful place by the way um but um uh you know she i guess you know in conversations with friends you know it's come up that i 
have been a TV writer and big time rush is the one that that her friends are like your dad works on big time rush you know to me like one season was plenty the show went on without me after that i got uh, a call from um guys who had been higher ups at on the staff at that 70s show uh, a writing team named stern and ventimiglia who had sold an animated show to nickelodeon and you know i had experience king of the hill granted was a writer's guild um outfit by the time i got there but um you know it's animated so i knew the 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 animation process and they asked me to be uh well in the animation guild it's called story editor which uh uh means essentially head writer and they uh um they, and they said and they were also developing for nickelodeon not the most recent incarnation, but I think the one before that of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So they were like, we, you know, you're going to be running the room. Um, it was a show called Robot Monster. Um, there are many reasons that I won't get into at length that it was never given a, I mean, at first it was given a great chance to succeed until um, massive firings uh, of the higher-ups at Nickelodeon at which time no one had ownership of the show anymore. And look, I can't tell you it would have been SpongeBob. I mean, I, you know, but after we'd worked a season and a half, we, we, we'd done a season and a half of episodes. Uh, they didn't promote it. They just started burning them off one after the next. And it was a huge disappointment because it's actually one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. I mean, it wasn't as fun as being a page, but um writing a silly cartoon and that's you know this was just comedy you know there was there was no message in the show <laughs> it was just um you know a lot of slapstick great artwork by um uh the other creator was an artist named dave pressler who uh is still out there succeeding at his at his job um but uh so then i kind of you know i went into the animation world i I teamed up my my um agent hooked me up with um I'd say he was more of a marketer than an artist or a writer but uh, a guy named Todd Goldman had created this character called the bear in underwear um and it was so cute cute bear wearing tidy whities there were some preschool books that he had turned out uh but he you know uh he wanted to try to sell it as more of a you know, again, in the SpongeBob age group sort of show. And I, I met with him and I was like, I totally see this happening. And and we took it, you know, we developed it, took it uh, around town, got some rejections, but Amazon Studios was interested in our, well, first writing a pilot. So I wrote a pilot and they were like, okay, we're happy with this. We want to produce it. We produced the pilot. Um, and then they, you know, they had their way of, uh, uh, of they, they would, they would make a certain number of pilots and they probably still do, uh, every year and then stream them all for a month, just the one episode of that. Um, and so, uh, Baron Underwear, uh, streamed that month. Um, 
you know, all I can do is go by what the executive told me, which was that and as far as numbers goes, it went very, very well. Uh, apparently, the you know the numbers of uh, kids who wanted to see it repeatedly were were, were good, and that was a good sign. Um, it did not get picked up, um, and 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 uh, you know I couldn't count on it being picked up. Uh, uh, but um, among among the reasons, and there were you know there were other reasons, and you know maybe you know. Maybe Amazon didn't like the show. I don't know, but um, uh, apparently they got a lot, of, a lot. Some of the feedback, the negative feedback they got, was from a lot of parents who felt it was inappropriate because basically we built a, a world of animals that wore tidy whities. Uh, there was a reason behind it. I'm not going to go into all those details right now. It was justified within the uh, the 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 world of the of the show. Um, and but apparently some parents just found that offensive, which right. I think is a weird thing to get I mean, hung yeah, up actually, on. And, and SpongeBob, I think, was wearing underpants. Was he not uh, SpongeBob? Oh no, he had pants on. He had, he had pants, pants, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was at yeah. some time shown in underpants. Yeah, I don't know the thing. You know whatever it does right. it's hard it's right. it's hard to get a show on the air and there are any number of reasons and and they're not they're not all things that are out of my hands i'm sure i could have done things you know better i don't i, I don't want to make too many excuses um and then i um I, you know because we have to wrap it up simply say worked on uh you know some other projects for nickelodeon and disney uh in an in the animation mm -hmm. uh you know, kids animation and uh uh then have developed some projects that uh have not sold um you know that's all that's all part of it but i you know i would simply say regardless of uh you know where things stand these days i'm always working i'm always looking for kind of a new a new way to try to use the only thing that i can do well at all which is you know hopefully at least some people think i can you know <laughs> comedy um and uh and so there you know i'm uh, i think i mentioned to you in a text that uh i'm working on getting a blog together you know as a creative outlet uh um and uh, always looking at other i've talked to people about trying to develop something you know different projects but you know again i was i was so lucky to have the run that i did um and you know there's the, the obviously the writers guild is striking now and uh you know i i'd worked the last few years in animation and on spec projects and uh not spec projects that weren't writers guild projects um, so I kind of had fallen out of touch with some of the, just what was happening, uh, how, you know, I feel, I, I feel like, you know, I know why we, we striked back in, uh, or struck, I don't know what the problem is, <laughs> but back in, um, uh, 2006, uh, you know, I think people were a little on the fence as to whether that was a good idea or not. Um, but. Uh, I, I, you know, and it's easy not, you know, this writer's strike hasn't put me out of work. I wasn't, you know, I've been working on my own things anyway. And, 
Uh, so it's easy for me to say, but um, writers today, you know, the young writers who were at the stage I was when I got to pitch to Bonnie and Terry and do third rock or, and then, and then started working on that 70s show. They are, it's a, it's a whole different game and they're, they, you know, they are not getting, they're not only not getting residuals, they're, you know, they're, they're writing episodes and getting paid simply for an episode. I'm the wrong guy to discuss the issues, but they've taken something that, you know, some of us have been very lucky to have made a lucrative career out of, you know, and um, a lot of, you know, um, a lot of writers are getting screwed these yeah. days. So I, you know, again, uh, I've been super lucky and I'm not done working uh but uh you know it's a new it's it's a new landscape and i'm kind of excited about other ways to apply my trade um having said that always thinking up concepts to try to sell you know uh for even to one of the evil streamers out there right. i certainly watch enough of their shows you know so i guess i wouldn't be prostituting myself too much but no uh, it but um and the fact and is sorry no no I, I, no I wouldn't even interrupt you the um well i just you know like i i i could probably go on for another several hours but you know every if you look at your whole career and everything you've done and the and again just just and again for for to inspire others you know and i'm sure if they're you know if, they, if they've gotten this far but you know this whole trip uh, journey that you've taken, you know, is not an easy one. And, you know, other writers in the same boat. And again, even when we were at SNL and watching them, because um, remember, uh, and again, for those listening, you know, the, even for SNL, you know, they, they really would, they'd be up all night, basically, because, you know, they don't really, the, the read throughs on, well, no, the, 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 they sit and discuss, they meet the, the host on a Monday, yeah. And the show is written with all the sets and everything's done by Saturday, which is insane, you know, insane. So all of and, and it's funny. Do you remember Joe DiTullio? Do you remember Joe? I remember the name. I, re yeah. I remember. I remember the name. Yeah. Yeah. So he and I mentioned him like every podcast, but he he does uh, the set, but he builds the sets. For oh, yes. yeah, Yeah. And, you know, and he sort of explained that whole process to me. And it's it really it's it's unbelievable. So I just you know, you know, for, for all the work that you did. And again, if you didn't have the talent and you didn't have the drive and you didn't, you know, do all the work, mm -hmm. uh, Bonnie and everybody else wouldn't, they wouldn't just be like, Hey Dave, you know, let's do this. So it, it's truly, it's, 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 um, it's very, uh, you know, I think it's a good, it's a good, like, like learning experience for, for those that maybe want to be a writer, but, but, you know, know that it doesn't come easy. And if you dedicate yourself and just, you know, say, this is what I'm going to do to get it done um, right. until it's finished. And it's, you know, uh, and they don't realize that the that all the rewrites and all the, you know, like like you write something. And then by the time it's spit out at the other end, you know, some of those jokes and things that you thought were so important were probably left on the cutting room floor, you know. Well, yes. And, and I've said this, and I, uh, uh, you know. I kind of miss 
in some way, I mean, I'm so glad for the career I've had, but I miss the blissful ignorance I had when I was starting out that, yeah. you know, the naivete that I, it, it was very freeing to not have heard every note you could possibly imagine yet. You know what I mean? At that point, when I started out, you know, I thought, okay, this is funny. This is odd. This is weird. You know, I can write this. Um, you know, I'm now now um sort of on the other on the other end, the the uh you know kind of uh seasoned veteran uh who can't write a word without thinking, well, I remember th there was that one time when, you know, I got this note or that note. Yeah, this I mean it's I'm lucky as hell that I got to do first off I got to do what I wanted to do it I I was able to do it at a time when you know it meant everything is financially for my family and and um uh you know served us really well uh in those times I really you know I kind of worry for for those people like me who are starting out now Right. Uh, so I'm, you know, which I that. think it's really important with the strike, the, the actors and the writers. Yes. Um, you know, without getting too, uh, either political or whatever you want to say, mm -hmm. but the reality of it is, you know, when, when some of these folks, these executives are making, you know, 27 million a year, yeah. Yeah. uh, or, you know, or, or half a billion, um, you know, they've made, you know, these crazy numbers, you know, right. you know, they don't like, I've yet to see, and it's fun, like literally, like even uh, what David Zasloff from, uh, what is it, uh, HBO's Discovery, whatever, you know, yeah. I mean, you see, and even Iger, you know, I mean, a lot of these, I mean, they do and say some boneheaded things, you know, and, you know, like, give me $27 million, and I can also give you some boneheaded things, right. and a lot of these executives will will drive some of these um institutions or studios into a off a cliff and i'm like well you know i could have done that for 15 million you know i could have ruined the studio for half you know so i yeah. you know they're yes. not contributing yes. what they get and they should be making a couple of million if that and and hire the content producers and the writers and the actors a fair living wage. They're not asking for millions of dollars. They just right. want, you know, reasonable things. So I will say this. Um, and then again, you know, on my side of it, and you, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you know, like I, I had my own streaming channel that I created and I had content and I produced content this and that. So I'm aware of the numbers on all sides and blah, blah, right. blah. But, you know, you gotta, you know, if you're going to produce content, you know, uh, you can't expect it for free, you know, and they, they you know, it, it's a lot of these people want it for free. So yeah. I, I believe, and I may be wrong, but I believe that the writers and the uh, actors and all the other folks that are supporting them, I think that there will be a major shift in what's going on because the bottom line is you either, either, either we all get along or you put Disney Plus on, and there's going to be black. <laughs> you know, there'll be think, color yeah. bars. Well, that's true, and I, I, I think uh, you know, um, there is. I think, I think there, are, I think there are a lot of people who have a little too much faith in Chat GPT, and you know, right. 
Right. Uh, yes, it, AI is amazing, but it's spitting it's spitting out what's been put in. Right. You know, it's not right. creating. Right. And uh, I've look. I that, that's so how how you how they've gotten it to this point is obviously so far beyond the degree of intelligence I have. Um, you know, I don't know how they, yeah. how, how they do that, but look, maybe someday they'll, maybe someday they'll create or they'll, they'll get AI to the point where it, uh, it intuitively understands the human experience and gets irony and uh and timing and all of those things you know who knows but right now if 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 the thinking is oh we'll just have some program spit these scripts out it's going to be a lot of really really lame television right. you know um i'm not saying there hasn't been a lot of lame television anyway but uh and and you know i heard a quote well you know you referenced bob Iger and what the writers are asking for is not realistic he said before the, before the actors went on strike right um uh yeah it's it's the wrong person to, to to deliver that message but there was also an un uh named executive i have no idea how high a level executive and where this executive was who was quoted saying well we're not going to start negotiating until at least october because that's when writers are going to start losing their houses right and first of all i have no idea what uh what algorithm produced October at, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I won't be losing my house, but that's because I got really lucky years ago when we were paid handsomely for our work. Now they're, I mean, they're looking for every way to barely pay writers at all. Right. Um, and I would like to say that executive, do you know how many people also call themselves television executives that work under you? who are going to lose their houses too you know right don't be a, my son my son graduated college just in june um and by the way i'll put it uh, sorry shameless promotion anybody listening who has video game company connections uh my son has a bachelor's of science in, in computer science video game development Hmm. uh and so uh sorry for this is that the is that the emersonian was that no uh my daughter is the emersonian actually went to the university of denver which um well which uh is famous mostly for its um storied hockey program uh men's men's hockey they've won as many championships as any uh and i'm one of the few people who would appreciate that uh but my wife is from denver they also are one of you'd be surprised there aren't that many schools that offer video game development that's what i'm saying i, I, as, I was like oh yeah. is that emerson offering that now i didn't know yeah that. no I, I not as far as i know because i think emerson is so uh so arts oriented right. that they they haven't yet learned to attract people whose minds Right. get coding and stuff right. like that but right. that, yeah most of the emersons were like i just need the code to open the bar or the, my door <laughs> right <laughs> exactly i mean i think emerson's an 
awesome place, but uh, it's not. I, I I don't see a lot of math majors going. No, there's and it's know. funny. It's funny you mention that because even like I I don't think I could be any worse in math. And yeah, one of the things that I loved about Emerson is like anyone that I spoke to, it was like we don't like math. You know, like we don't. Right. Like, we were very similar in like we we don't like math. We don't like science. Yeah. We were just yeah. you know, this is what we're doing. Well, my fun, my son is funny because in some ways he's very much like me, and in some ways he could not be more different. Mm-hmm. And um, but I will, I will tell you, the guy's got a he will he he shocks people with how funny he he's incredibly mm-hmm. funny guy. But he's not a writer. He he's never saw himself seen himself as a writer. Um, but he has really great. Uh, great grasp of irony and can really crack me up uh but uh but yeah we're, you know so now he's putting himself out there looking for video so just, games putting the door oh, in the video. wait so it's just the, it's the two kids the the two, two kids, kids yes two kids, okay. uh, uh my daughter uh uh who loves musical theater nevertheless went to emerson as, as a um or she's going to emerson as a creative writing major wow uh she also can read books. I mean, she she reads more books, and I I, I like books, and I hate it. <laughs> but she reads more books in a month than maybe I do in two years. I don't know. I mean, she is constantly reading, and she's I'm certain going to uh, be heard from as a writer, uh, as a you know novelist uh, uh, when she, uh, when she gets the right opportunity. So if people wanted to get in touch with you, uh, is there a way to get in touch? What's the, I would, I, I think probably the best way is to go to LinkedIn, um, and just do a search for Dave Schiff. Uh, I'm sure a few of us will come up, uh, but, uh, I'm the one with kind of a, uh, a cartoony version of my face and, uh, you know, if you look at uh, if you look at my job experience, you'll know that you got the right guy. Right. Um, and I, by the way, I would love to hear from. I mean, I know I put a shameless promotion out for people to help me uh, get my son connected. Uh, I just I've had the the best time in the world talking about page dumb just now, and uh, anybody who is listening to this podcast is somebody I would love to hear from um uh even if uh we never crossed paths before even if you weren't a page if you're listening to if you're listening to my man dave katz's podcast uh you're somebody i want in my linkedin network uh uh so um with that first off let me thank everyone who's listened to this for i mean i have rambled I, I may have set a podcast record for talking the you longest. Did. You set the you set the longest. Uh, I think yes, you you've definitely set a record. And and the sad thing is, I could keep going. So I don't know how many of you do really do want to reach out to me, but uh, I I would love to hear from you. Um, this has been uh, a tremendous pleasure. Uh, I hope I hope you feel the same, Dave. Um, and I want to uh, obviously stay in touch with you and a- again, anyone, uh, any old friends or new uh, or meet new people. Uh, the page experience was the best, best thing. One of the best things I've ever done. Right. No, I, and again, I can't thank you enough. I mean, it's so 
fat, you know, it, it, it literally, if, if it seems like I just saw you, uh, up at eight H exactly, uh, it's, it's amazing. And it's exactly, and you know, it, I think that that's what, you know, um, and I tell some of the younger folks, you know, which I get a kick out of referring to, but you know, some of the relationships, even though, I mean, it's true, we don't, we haven't really kept in touch all these years, but literally just getting on the phone with you now or the zoom it, it's i feel like it's literally yesterday exactly and it's it's really incredible so you just pick right up where where we left off which was probably actually some drunken night at a pancake house <laughs> or something uh because we hung out a little bit until yeah. i moved to la and then yeah. uh i probably haven't seen you since and it is so nice to see you dave well, so um, great to see you too. I, I can't thank you enough. Of course. Okay. Uh, well, listen, let's we'll give it up for you for uh Dave Schiff, everyone. Give him a round of applause. I by the way, what, what a enough. handsome live audience. Yes, uh, the live audience. Yes. We for those at home, actually, we do have I have my cat uh popping into the frame every so often, and so does Dave. So um two good looking cats. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yes. And the uh and the studio <laughs> audience, yes, the studio audience has been in here for about five hours now. Uh, and they're exhausted. Um, and and He's I think not even a warm up guy. Them. So yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. Thanks. So Thank much. you so much. Okay, Dave Schiff, everyone. Thanks for listening to a page in history. A page in history is produced by David Harris Katz Entertainment. For more information on our television shows, syndication, and more, go to dhcats.com. And to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.